Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, just look on with somebody else. I'm sure they'd be glad to uh, share with you. And if you're new in the things of God and you don't know how to find Hebrews, just ask somebody next to you to help you out with that. Might have told you the story when I first started coming to church, and, and I didn't know the Lord yet. And my friend said, you know, you'll need to bring a Bible to this church. I wasn't used to that. So we had a huge family Bible. <laughs> it was nearly as big as the uh, pulpit here as far as the width and height. I mean, it was just, it was massive. So I thought, well, okay. So there I sat on the front row with this big Bible on my lap, hair down to my shoulders, ripped up bell-bottom jeans and a flannel shirt sticking out of my pants and trying to follow along. And the, and the pastor was in um, 1 John. I think it was 1 John chapter 3. Well, John was John to me, you know. So I found John, the gospel of John. So I thought, well, that's, that's close enough. I don't know about the first part, you know, but I had John. So he's reading along in 1 John 3, and I'm looking at John 3, and I'm reading along, and it wasn't lining up. But I wasn't going to let on like I was lost. So I'm just, oh, man, I'm, I'm like, finally the guy sitting next to me, he was pretty, pretty classy about it. He just, he just smiled, and he just turned the pages on that massive Bible and <laughs> found me 1 John chapter 3 and pointed it out. And so uh, there's a learning curve with these things, amen? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're talking about some things worth knowing. And boy, we do live in a crazy day, the information explosion, and yet I would say where it's, it's easy to argue that this is a time where more information has been available than any other time in human history, it seems like it's a time where just finding out what the truth is about anything is a greater chore than it's ever been. And so we want to talk about some things worth knowing. The first thing we talked about was knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. And Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now I want you to notice that Paul said, I know whom I have believed, not what I have believed. He said, I know whom I have believed not how I have believed. And in the end, it's about putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you really want to know what distinguishes someone between, distinguishes between someone who's going to heaven and someone who's going to hell, the difference is just this. The person going to heaven, who, by the way, deserves to go to hell, Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what this guy did 
is he rested his case for the penalty of his sins in the hands of Jesus Christ. And Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. And the difference between these two fellows here is the one has accepted the pardon that God offers through his son Jesus Christ and the other one has not. Which one are you this morning? Say, well, I've joined this church. Don't worry about the what. Well, I did this and I did that. Don't worry about the how. My question to you this morning is, have you with Paul know whom you have believed? You've rested your case in the hands of the Son of God. That's really all that counts. And by the way, when you're, if you're truly saved and you're doubting your salvation, that's what you got to get back to. So we talked about knowing Christ as Savior. Another thing that's worth knowing is the character of that Savior. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul said to the Corinthian believers, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think we as believers can be just as guilty as the world of being immersed in issues, scandals, people, dogma, procedures, programs, name it but not, not drawing closer to God and getting to know Jesus Christ better and better each day. And I don't know about all those other things. I'm not going to say they don't have their place. But in, their, in the end, there is nothing of greater value to you and I as believers this morning than getting to know Jesus Christ more and more each day. The next thing we're looking at is that God answers prayer. That's worth knowing, folks. Now, let me say this to you as we look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, where Paul says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me say this. When we speak of prayer, prayer is probably the greatest mystery of all Christian disciplines. And let me explain what I mean by that. When you talk about Bible reading, it's a pretty tangible thing. You either read your Bible or you didn't. And normally you know how many chapters you read in a given day. And uh, if you read it, it speaks to you. If you don't, it doesn't. And in many ways seems fairly cut and dry. Bible memorization, there's a Christian discipline. And you know if you've memorized verses of Scripture when they come to mind. Uh, when you can now start quoting whole sections of the Word of God. And again, it, it seems fairly cut and dry. Witnessing is another one. You know, we go through every day and God presents us with opportunities. And if we got our eyes open and we're 
and we're sensitive to his spirit, we'll find opportunities to tell others about Christ. And again, fairly cut and dry. You get an opportunity to witness and you, you give the gospel to somebody. And what's especially great is if they get saved and receive Christ, it's pretty tangible. It's really pretty tangible and exciting. Church attendance. I'd say you're here. And tonight, when you go to bed, you probably won't forget that you were here. I mean, it's fairly cut and dry. We come to church. We meet. We fellowship with God's people. We sing these songs. We participate in all that's going on here today. And again, seems pretty straightforward. Other areas of service. We've got ladies in the nurseries right now. Both of these buildings taking care of our little ones. But prayer, it's just, there's something about prayer that's, I hate to use the word, but it, it really is mysterious. It's, it's almost baffling. We're speaking to an invisible God. We're asking him for answers to prayers and just what is a prayer? I got my hand on the Bible. That's the word of God. That King James Bible there. I got my hand on the word of God. You ever spend some time in prayer, get up off your knees and wonder what you just did? And then there's times where you pray, where you just sense the presence of God in the room. And it's wonderful. There's prayer requests I've had since the day I was saved. And I can see 50 years from where I'm standing. And it still hasn't been answered. Then I've had prayers answered that I just casually, as Paul says in some of his epistles, I made mention of a situation. I may have been driving down the road in my vehicle. No time to be bowing your head and closing your eyes, amen? And it certainly wasn't a one-hour a time in, in the prayer closet. And yet, I just made mention of something. I, I, I just asked God. Something came into my mind, and God answered that prayer. It's, it's the kind of thing that, I don't know, I, I just don't think until we get home to be with the Lord in heaven, we're ever going to be able to, as the, the expression goes, get our heads completely around it. But it is so important because it's what God has left us here on this earth until faith does turn into sight, until hope becomes realization. And, and we no longer have to, by the way, walk by faith because we will have realized the blessings of heaven in a tangible way. We'll be there. We'll see with our eyes. We'll hear with our ears. And we'll experience with our senses, as we understand senses now, they'll be so much more impressive up there. But until that time, God's given us prayer to communicate with him, and it's, it's not always easy. And, and I've said you, uh, this to you before, I, I'm kind of like the man that wanted healing for his child and came to the Lord, and the Lord said, well, if you believe, and he, and he said through his tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou mine unbelief. I'm amazed at prayer when I think that Jesus said, if I have 
Faith is the grain of a mustard seed. I could move a mountain. I'm here to tell you this morning, I haven't moved any mountains. In fact, the few times that I've taken it upon myself to move large quantities of dirt, I've used a front-end loader. But that's how powerful prayer is. Someone once said prayer can do what God can. That's That's a lot in one phrase. But do we really understand that? We believe in it, yet we struggle with it. How many would say here this morning and be foolish enough to stand up and say, I am satisfied with my prayer life. Me and God are as tight as we can be. As a matter of fact, come read my book, The Ten Greatest Prayer Warriors in the World and How I Train the Other Nine. (laughs) Now, I've seen Christians get pretty arrogant about other disciplines of the Christian life, but I don't find too many drifting over into that territory because it tends to overwhelm us. But thank God for it. You know what I found out about prayer if I haven't learned anything else? All this business about why he answers some and doesn't answer others. And I do know this, that me coming to God over and over and over again like a child coming to his father with his many needs has drawn me closer to him. It's drawn me closer to what we talked about earlier in getting to know Jesus Christ better. And in the end, maybe that has more to do with it than anything else. Let's take our Bibles and go to Luke chapter 11. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4 to come boldly to the throne of grace. And then in Luke chapter 11... The Lord tells us in in verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Notice, Notice that the disciples said, teach us to pray, not how to pray, but teach us to pray. I, I find that praying is one of those things that you're either doing or you're not. You can read all kinds of books about it, and you can talk about it all day long, but sooner or later, you just got to do it. And uh, so he requests of the Lord, and and in verse 2, the Bible says, and he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Now, we could spend the rest of the time this morning on that right there and never go any further. But I want to go to one particular place that seems to be a recurring theme every time Jesus talks about prayer. And we'll get there in just a second. He says, give us day by day our daily bread. I'm afraid as Americans, we don't really grasp verse 3 very well. I I know that food's getting more expensive, so is everything. But, you know, I, I doubt there's very many people here this morning, if any, that uh, their thoughts are being interrupted here and, and they're having a hard time paying attention to this message because they're worried about if and what they might eat today. In fact, it seems the biggest problem most of us have here in America is what do we do with all that too much that we ate? The groceries that are still hanging around our waistline. 
But, but I hope we're wise enough to understand and we have enough of a sense of history and we can look around at other countries and make sure that when we bow our heads and thank the Lord for our food, it's not just some little religious ritual to denote to others that we're Christians. And, and, and we do this when we, when we eat. We, we do this. You may not, but we do. A little boy in a Christian home was observing his lost uncle who, who when they, they prayed over the meal, they were all together and they prayed over the meal. The uncle did not bow his head and he did not pray. And a little boy, as little kids will do sometimes, pretty bold, he said, why didn't you pray? And he said, well, I, I, don't, I don't believe in praying over the meal. And he says, you know, my dog doesn't either, the little boy said. <laughs> That's how kids are. But I, but I hope... But I hope we understand that it, it, it wouldn't take God much. He wouldn't have to break a sweat to, as the Old Testament uh, refers to it, break the staff of bread in the United States. You know, sometimes we think we're this all-powerful superpower and nothing could ever go wrong. We've got it all figured out. Believe me, God, God wouldn't even have to think about it very long to be able to do it. But then look at verse 4, and this is one that seems to come up every time Jesus talks about prayer. Whatever he does or doesn't say, verse 4, and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Now, I do think one of the first things we ought to do when we're praying is just get Get the things that are in the way between us and God out of the way, and that's always that thing they call sin. Confess our sins. Get square with the Lord. Agree with him. Repent that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you're not going to hear me. But notice what else he says we have to do. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Do you realize, and, and if we took the time this morning, and we may or may not get there, but in Matthew chapter 6, when the Lord teaches them what's commonly understood the Lord's prayer over there, in the, in the early part of the book of Matthew, the one we usually understand as the Lord's prayer, he brings the same issue of forgiveness in. And he says, if, if, we, don't, if we don't forgive others will not be forgiven. Sounds pretty cut and dry to me. In fact, Paul goes on to say in the book of Colossians that if we as husbands are bitter toward our wives, that'll hinder our prayers. God, God gives a man and help meet for him, and she submits to him, and God protects her from the grumpiness of her Christian husband by telling him, hey, if you get bitter to her, if you're grumpy toward her, you're not going to get anywhere with me. Sounds pretty cut and dry. Now, here's, here's what I've heard for years and years when it comes to this bit, business of, of Bitterness and unforgiveness, 
especially between the brethren. Whenever somebody doesn't want to forgive somebody else, here's what they do to make their case. They'll say to you, they'll say to me, preacher, I know what you're going to say, and I know that's in the Bible. Okay, good. So the argument should be over, right? No. Here's what comes up next. The magnitude of the offense. I know Jesus said that. And I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And I know that's what you're going to tell me. But. (laughs) And then they blurt out something about the magnitude of the offense. Can you hear what I'm saying this morning? When we will not forgive someone else, it's because we rationalize that this is now out of bounds, are you ready for this, of anything that God ever anticipated. The omniscient, all-knowing God with complete foreknowledge of all things that will ever be done, said, or thought, didn't see this one coming. Didn't realize that I would be sinned against beyond anything that's ever happened in the history of mankind. That's what we're saying to God when we refuse to forgive the magnitude of the offense, case closed. I'm hanging on to my unforgiveness. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to turn a cold shoulder to your prayers. Now, I wish I had a funny story to make that go down a little better. But maybe I shouldn't because the seriousness might be lost in the laughter Folks, every time Jesus opens his mouth about prayer, he talks about forgiveness. We see this in Matthew 6. We see this here in Luke chapter 11. We talked about Paul in Colossians, husbands being bitter against their wives and their prayers being hindered. Um, Look at verse 42 in the same chapter, and again, we could break down this whole section on prayer and we could be here till tonight going through it. There's so much here. But look at verse, look at verse 42 and try to understand something tonight or this morning that is so important for us to understand. Do you understand this morning that when we refuse to forgive, we, we stand in the place of God according to James? We become the judge And by the way, we tell God that we have a higher standard than him. We have a higher standard. God, you're letting these people off. You shouldn't. I know better. James tells us that in so many words when we refuse to forgive. But look at Luke chapter 11 and look at verse 42. He says, but woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and so the Pharisees, and by the way, the, the, move, the Pharisaical movement, the movement of the Pharisees 
was a back to the Bible movement. It was an originally a, a good movement. It was a reaction to the Sadducees who were liberal in their thinking on the Bible and denied much, if not all, of the supernatural aspects of Scripture, including the resurrection. And Jesus confronted them on that. But he said, you tithe mint and rue, and so they were very particular about giving 10% of all that they had, including going to the spice rack and all manner of herbs. But notice what they, the mistake they made. And they pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. The love of God. Folks, as Christians, the love of God, are you ready for this? Trumps all of our other duties. Even though denominationally you'd never know it. A Methodist is a Methodist because of this doctrinal particular and that doctrinal particular. And a Baptist is a Baptist because of, of this stand and this position and this view of baptism and so forth in each group. But in the end, the thing that trumps all of our Christian duties is the love of God. And the brightest, most shining badge of that love is this business of forgiveness. Because folks, we're all going to get sinned against. We're all going to be offended Offenses will come, the Bible says. Offenses will come. It's a question of what we're going to do with them. Someone aptly said that revenge is God's business. It's God's department. The Bible says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. But then he went on to say, but forgiveness is mine. That's my job this morning, to forgive, to forgive. I'm not standing here this morning telling you it's easy. I'm not suggesting it's easy. But it's absolutely critical if we're going to see answered prayers. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, to come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that the golden scepter is always extended to us, and why does God answer some prayers and not others? Honestly, this morning, we don't have time to even touch the hem of that garment. But I do know God's answered some remarkable prayers in my life. I remember I worked at a, at a fabricating shop years ago. And I'd been the first guy hired there for probably five years. It was a pretty closed outfit this was back in the early 80s when work for welders was anything but abundant. And I managed to get on, and uh, I was definitely low man on the totem pole. And I was doing weld-out work, going from fabrication bay to fabrication bay. And I remember many times praying to the Lord, Lord, how am I going to get a chance to witness to some of these guys? I'd get the occasional little snip it here and snip it there but it wouldn't seem to be a lot going on and I worked there a couple years and got to know a few of the guys and got to kind of get in the culture of the shop a little bit and uh, didn't didn't seem to be the the stranger anymore but still I, I was never really satisfied that 
I got to witness to enough of those guys, as many as I certainly wanted to. And it was a pretty big shop with a pretty big office staff as well as the guys working in the shop itself. And long story short, I ended up leaving there and pastoring this church and a couple years went by and I was making a hospital visit one day and I bumped into one of the guys on the elevator at the hospital that I used to work with right there at the shop. And he said, he said, did, he said, did you hear about Smitty? And I said, no. And he was a weld out guy like myself and uh, I had known him fairly well and he said, well, and he told me the story. He, he was killed there in the shop. He was welding. He was under the hood and working on some big rock crusher conveyor thing. They, made, they built a lot of uh, equipment for the, the silver mining and, and the gold mining, but particularly the silver mining down in Nevada. Huge, massive steel structures with wear plates, sometimes an inch and a half, two inch thick. These things weighed tons and tons and tons and Boy, I remember we used to turn these things and roll them over and stuff with these overhead cranes, sometimes three cranes at a time turning one particular thing and overhead beams just shaking and dust coming off the walls and it was just, it was crazy stuff. And, and, and I said to my wife more than once, I said, someone's going to get killed here. And sure enough, he was under the hood and guys in the next bay were moving something around and it swung, it busted loose and it pinned him against the wall and he was in the hospital for a few days and they let him go home and they thought everything was fine finally he had some broken ribs and a few other problems what they didn't know is that his bowel got perforated it was slight but it was perforated nonetheless and he ended up with some bad internal infections and I finally got a chance to meet up with him in intensive care. I met his fiance. I, I met his mom, and, and I started working with him there in the hospital, and I couldn't talk to him. He had, he had tubes. I never, I'd never seen so many tubes and wires and things, and, and, and he had a tube down his throat, and I was talking to him, going there every day, and, and witnessing to him and telling him how to be saved, and we figured out a way to communicate. He'd communicate with his eyes. He'd squeeze my hands. And long story short, I ended up leading him to Christ. And uh, so then when he finally passed, his fiance asked me if I would preach the funeral. And I remember the day of the funeral, sitting behind that little pulpit in the corner of that funeral home chapel, and it was crowded and crammed like they usually are. And I remember sitting there looking out, at every single guy I had ever worked with at that fabrication shop, including all the bosses that I answered to and the owner. And then it dawned on me, the Lord had answered my prayer. And I got up and I was able to give the gospel to every one of those men as a captive audience. You just never know what God will do. You just never know what God will do. We hear so many testimonies at men's prayer of, of God answering prayers. Some of you here this morning, you're here as a result of prayer on Saturday night. 
Brother Dennis and Sylvia here this morning. Our brother Dennis and Sylvia here. I remember, Dennis, you bringing Sylvia up. Can you remember back that far, brother? <laughs> it was a long time ago. And pray for my wife and pray for my wife that she would get saved. And there they sit this morning. Folks, God answers prayer. I haven't figured it all out, but when I read Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us in no uncertain terms that prayer is power for living for the believer. The salvation of the lost, the wayward coming back to God, the reconciliation of marriages, deliverance and trials of health, finances, bereavement. I look at our nation this morning and People think, well, what's the answer? Oh, it's the midterms. Okay. You know, I, I like to see the best leaders and rulers that we can have. But in the end, I don't think that's going to fix it all. I don't think it's going to fix it all. I think we got problems in this country that only God can fix. And I think we've got problems in this country that only God can fix that God is going to take action on when his people get down on their knees and acknowledge that the power to turn a nation around does not lie in the Republican Party. Bible says God sets up nations and takes them down. He, he puts leaders in there and he, he takes them out. I mean, it's all over the word of God. It's all over history. And folks, there's no situation in any one person's life or any family or any nation for that matter that is out of the reach of God's power. In fact, if I know anything about God through his word and through experience and dealing with him, he delights, he delights in the most extreme situations being brought to him. The Bible says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. What is the biggest prayer request you've ever dared to ask God in all seriousness? Now, think of the most magnanimous prayer request that you've ever thought of bringing to him. But you said, no, no, I'd, God wouldn't answer that. I may not have said that, but you didn't bring it to him because that's what you thought. You know what God's word says? He's able to answer that prayer. John Newton, the slave trader turned Christian some 200 years ago, wrote to him Amazing Grace. Was known for getting some incredible answers to prayer. And, and when asked about it, he, he answered by saying that when I, when I pray, I like to do large asking. Large asking. And he explained it this way. Centuries ago when the emperor and conqueror Alexander the Great of, 
of Greece was at the height of his power. He asked the hand of a woman in marriage whose father requested a dowry that was just outlandishly expensive. And Alexander the Great agreed to it. He said, you can have it. He sent the man to his treasurer. The man asked the amount. The treasurer was shocked. And the treasurer said, I can't give you this amount of money without a direct order from the king himself. And he went to Alexander the Great, his treasurer did, and he said, look, a fraction of what this guy is asking would more than suffice. And Alexander the Great said this to him. He said, no. He said, give it to him. He said, I like that man. He honors me. And he says to the world that I am rich and I am generous. Give him all that he wants. Folks, we have a great king. We have a great God. And he is rich. And he is generous. And he says to us by way of illustration, something we can understand. He says, if ye being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. <coughs> he says, you know, what man, if his son asks for a, a, a loaf of bread, is going to give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, he'll give him a, a serpent or a viper. You know how you feel about blessing your own children and grandchildren. God is rich. God is generous. And you know what God's saying to us this morning, and this is worth knowing, folks. God answers prayer. You know what God's saying to us this morning? He's saying, why don't you challenge me with a prayer request? Why don't you go ahead and ask me for that thing that you think is just, it, it's out of bounds. It's not even in the stadium anywhere. Never mind on the field. In fact, you've been unwilling to ask it up to this point and maybe only think it because it just seemed so ridiculously impossible, large, great, wonderful, and God is sitting there this morning just waiting for you to ask in faith. I've told you one of my great fears is to get to heaven and find out I have this huge pile of unclaimed blessings and come to find out they were things that God was willing to do for me and for those I love but I just didn't ask. How about you this morning? God answers prayer. Alexander the Great was honored by the father of his bride that he would request such an expensive dowry. And so is God this morning when we ask great things 
of him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who made a way for prayer, who gives us access to our loving Father, who is our high priest, who is our mediator today, and in whose name we come in prayer. Father, there's so many needs represented here this morning. So many things, so many prayer requests, so many answers requested and, and needed. And Lord, some of on just bended knee wept before you. Father, I don't understand your, your timing. In fact, most of my anxiety about answered prayer has been around timing. I don't always understand what you're doing, but you've told us, Lord, we can come boldly to that throne of grace. That golden scepter is always held out in acceptance of us, of our person, that we can come to a great king. So help us this morning to know and to understand afresh and anew that you do answer prayer. And it's a wonderful treasure you've given us, each and every one, for each and every day, for each and every need, for each and every trial, until we get home to be with you. And faith turns into sight. And hope turns into realization. And we pray these things now in Jesus Christ's name. Let's go ahead and stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 510, 510, as we sing together. God. 
Jesus bless you.